all over again. Ben Crump is the Wright family's lawyer. African-American leaders have highlighted growing violence against black institutions. They told a U.S. House of Representatives subcommittee that HBCUs, or historically black colleges and universities, have been targeted for attacks. David Wilson is the president of Morgan State University in Baltimore. This is not 1865. It is not 1923. It is not 1962. This is 2022. But these domestic acts of terror persist across HBCUs. You know, yes, there is much too much ignorance, much too much misunderstanding that exists today about these historic institutions in American higher education. HBCUs are part and parcel of America. We're national treasures and we deserve the utmost veneration. We deserve the utmost respect and we deserve the utmost protection. Canadian police have carried out an operation to end the blockade of the capital, Ottawa, arresting some of the lorry drivers who spent the last three weeks protesting against mandatory coronavirus vaccinations to cross into the United States. Some have surrendered, but others appear to be digging in. Marieka Walsh, a journalist in Ottawa, says they're defiant. They do not believe that what they are doing is illegal. They do not believe that the police have any authority to end this blockade. They maintain it is peaceful. The police say that over the weekend, for example, they saw many demonstrators making threatening and illegal behavior, but it was not safe enough for officers to enforce. Police have arrested 70 protesters in the operation, the city's police chief said. Canadian Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie has expressed concern over foreign interference in the ongoing truckers' protest. When asked whether former US President Donald Trump had any influence in the truckers' protest, Ms Jolie, who was speaking at a panel discussion on COVID-19 at the Munich Security Conference in Germany, said she wouldn't point at anyone in particular. I won't point out somebody in particular, but we know that there is foreign interference. And that's why also we decided to go ahead and uh, use for the first time in our country the Emergencies Act. And my biggest concern as Foreign Affairs Minister is uh, the foreign interference that is happening in uh, the convoy we're seeing in Canada right now. The disinformation campaign, where it comes from, the financing of it, where it comes from. Storm Eunice has been battering northern Europe, killing at least eight people and leaving a trail of destruction. Five of the victims were hit by falling trees, three of them in the Netherlands. The BBC's Anna Holligan reports from The Hague. Storm Eunice is pummeling The Hague. The Dutch Meteorological Institute has issued a code red weather warning. Uh, they're expecting gusts of up to 130 kilometres an hour. Hundreds of planes have been grounded and trains have been cancelled right across the Netherlands. Uh, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam is warning passengers to check before they travel and expect delays. The Russian president, Vladimir Putin, has met the Belarusian leader, Alexander Lukashenko, at the Kremlin as their, for as their forces continue joint exercises near Belarus' border with Ukraine. Speaking to the media, Mr Putin said the two leaders would watch those exercises together later today. 
Of course we will talk about the regional situation. We will assess how the bilateral military cooperation is going. There is an active phase of combat exercises. We will even take part in one of the serious events in this military cooperation complex. The BBC's Carolyn Davis says it's all about a show of solidarity between the two countries. There was a very warm hug, then a very firm handshake, uh, and then the two of them sat next to each other, next to a relatively small coffee table, which is quite a contrast to what we've seen, of course, um, when the Russian president has been meeting other world leaders and other politicians over the course of the last few weeks. Uh, so certainly a sort of uh, closeness, not just in terms of their political positions, but also geographically today, where they were sitting very close to each other. And yes, this was a real show of strength. Uh, Lukashenko again talking about Russia as the big brother uh, and showing that these are two countries that are united. Now, of course, there's some military drills that are going on in Belarus at the moment and are happening over the course of this weekend. If you were to look geographically on a map, the fact that Belarus runs alongside Ukraine means that uh, troops that are currently doing drills are not that far away from um, the northern border of Ukraine. But of course, also, if you were to look again, they're not that far from the capital, Kyiv. So geographically, having Belarus as an ally, being able to um, position troops, uh, as the West would say, is what uh, President Putin is doing. Of course, President Putin would say they're there for drills, uh, is very useful um, for Russia at the moment. In India, a court in the western state of Gujarat has sentenced 38 people to death for their involvement in deadly serial bombings in 2008. Eleven others were sentenced to life imprisonment. The BBC's Naresh Kaushik reports. This is believed to be the first time in India in which so many accused have been sentenced to death in a single case. More than 20 blasts shook the city of Ahmedabad, killing 56 people and wounding 200 others. Hospitals, buses and cars were among the targets. The police blamed an Islamist group for the attacks. They were said to have been carried out in revenge for anti-Muslim violence in Gujarat six years earlier. That violence was blamed on Hindu nationalists when the current Prime Minister Narendra Modi was the state's chief minister. The World Health Organization says a case of wild polio has emerged in Africa for the first time in five years. The polio virus paralyzed a three-year-old girl in Malawi. The health authorities there say laboratory tests found the strain to be the same as one circulating in Pakistan. Dr. John Vertefoy is a polio specialist. Any child paralyzed is a child too many paralyzed. So the event in Malawi is substantial. It's very concerning in that we've had this importation from uh, a virus that was uh, transmitting in Pakistan to Malawi, and now we will aggressively respond to that virus. The WHO has also said that Egypt, Kenya, Nigeria, Senegal, South Africa and Tunisia will be given the revolutionary mRNA technology to set up their own vaccine production centres, helping Africa fight the Covid pandemic. The BBC's Imogen Folks reports from Geneva. The continent will no longer have to wait in line while wealthier countries buy up and hoard existing stocks. The new scheme, created jointly by the European Union and the African Union, will share the technology and the know-how to produce mRNA vaccines. The aim, to have 60% of Africa's vaccines produced on the continent by 2040. Right now, that figure is just 1%. 
Researchers have found nearly half of bald eagles in the United States show signs of serious lead poisoning. Tests in 38 states found 46% of the birds had chronic exposure to high levels of the heavy metal. The BBC's Jack Graysmark reports. Researchers in the journal Science put the explanation down to the birds consuming prey that was contaminated by lead from ammunition, particularly in the autumn and winter months. During this time, eagles often scavenge on carcasses left by hunters, which are often full of bullet fragments. The study estimated that lead exposure reduced the population growth of bald eagles by 4% a year, but it also could reduce their resilience in facing future challenges such as climate change. The researchers hope the study will encourage hunters to switch to non-lead ammunition, such as copper cartridges. The ongoing standoff between Russia and Ukraine, as well as solidifying expectations of a Federal Reserve rate increase next month, has sent US stock indices closing lower. There was no sign of a let-up in the tensions between the two Eastern European countries, and markets fear that if Russian troops cross into Ukraine, sanctions threatened by Western nations would rock energy and other sectors. Wall Street is also bracing for the Federal Reserve to launch a series of increases in the benchmark lending rate. Two top Fed officials said a rate hike at the March policy meeting would be appropriate, though New York Fed President John Williams said there was no need for a big increase of more than a quarter percentage point. The Dow Jones Industrial Average ended 0.7% lower at 34,079, and the S&P 500 also fell 0.7% to 4,349. The Nasdaq Composite Index lost 1.2% to end at 13,548. American Airlines closed 1.9% low after slashing more international flights this summer due to delays in deliveries of Boeing 787 jets. China's Gu Ailing has won her second gold of the Beijing Winter Olympics, easing to victory in the women's free ski half-pipe final. She's the first action sports athlete to win three medals at the same Winter Olympics, as Vicky Wong reports. The Californian-born Chinese superstar warmed up with a 93.25 on her first pass before going even higher and bigger to post a 95.25 on her second. That sealed the contest, and Gu wiped away a tear and hugged her mother and coach before dropping into her final victory run, a relaxed stroll through the half-pipe. The standout freestyle skier of the Beijing Olympics adds to the gold medal she won in the Big Air event and silver from slope style. Defending Olympic champion Cassie Sharp of Canada was second with a score of 90.75. She was competing just over a year after suffering a torn knee ligament. Sharp's teammate Rachel Carker took the bronze. The president of the International Olympic Committee, Thomas Bach, has spoken very strongly about Russian figure skater Kamila Valieva and her team of staff and coaches. He has described the treatment of the 15-year-old as chilling. Valieva, who's at the centre of a doping scandal, was left distraught as she finished in fourth place in the women's individual free skate. Bach criticised the cold reaction of her entourage to the performance. How she was received by her closest entourage what appeared to be a, a tremendous coldness. Uh, it was chilling. And if you were inter interpreting uh, then the, the body language, it got even worse because, you know, this was even some kind of uh, dismissive uh, gestures. The Africa Cup of Nations, which finished earlier this month in Cameroon, produced some dramatic moments on the pitch. But sadly, it'll also be remembered for a fatal crush that claimed eight lives and injured many more people ahead of the second round match between Cameroon and Comoros. 
There would also certainly have been one more victim, a 10-month-old baby girl, had it not been for the quick action of a doctor at the scene. The BBC's Guy Bondolo reports from Cameroon. A stampede at Holembe Stadium last January the 24th after hundreds of people tried to gain entry. Benedict Fuda is a mother of a 10-month-old rescued baby girl. She remembers what happened this night. People came running from the back and pushed me down. I fell on the child. People trampled on me. I started crying, crying, crying. Where's my child? Luckily, Benedict wasn't seriously injured, but her baby was. Pulled out of the crush by a police officer, the 10-month-old was carried, unconscious and not breathing, to Dr. Cyril Yonta, who was at the stadium doing COVID tests. The police officer asked me, what do I do? I told her I would continue with the chest compression and mouth-to-mouth. I need an ambulance right now. Finally, the ambulance came and Dr. Cyril carried the baby to an hospital. Her mother went missing. Dr. Cyril was only focused on the baby's safety. The priority was the baby. If you have an unconscious baby in front of you, you just think about how to save the baby. I am in front of the gift where the crush happened with a cup of nation over. The good news is that everyone who was injured is now out of the hospital. That includes Benedict and her daughter who were reunited after an appeal. <coughs> Dr. Yonta has built up a strong relationship with mother and daughter, especially after tests revealed the child was also suffering from malnutrition and a lung infection. As for the problem with her lungs, she was not doing well at all. Her breathing is much better now, and she is in good spirits. She is playing. One of the reasons is her mother is here now. Benedict is very happy to have found her baby girl. I feel well, and my baby is well. I say thank you, uncle. Local organizers in Cameroon and the Confederation of African Football have taken joint responsibility for the crush at the Olympi, admitting crowd control measures were inadequate. The head of Cameroon Football Federation, legendary striker Samuel Eto, a hero to many in the country, also came to the hospital to visit. But despite his role in the rescue, Dr. Yonta doesn't see himself as a hero. Hero, bon. Hero, that's for others to decide. For me, I think I did what a doctor should do, or a humanitarian, or anyone with a heart should do. And for a preview of this weekend's English Premier League action, here's the BBC's Nick Hatton.
Well, we're back to the action of the Premier League once again after a midweek of European competition. And there's a really intriguing game for the early kickoff today with West Ham chasing down the final Champions League spot against a Newcastle side who are on a good run of form as they look to avoid relegation. Victory for the Hammers would see them back up to fourth, whilst Newcastle could move seven points clear of trouble with a fourth win in a row. Liverpool, they can go to within six points of lead of Manchester City if they can win at home to Norwich. It adds a little bit of pressure to Pep Guardiola's side who entertained Tottenham in the evening kickoff. City looking to make it an incredible 15 wins in 16 matches. Frank Lampard will hope to make it back-to-back wins as Everton boss. They go to inform Southampton and after their Club World Cup success, Chelsea will have home comforts against Crystal Palace. Watford, they desperately need a goal, let alone the points when they travel to Aston Villa. While free-falling Brentford have a tough task away at Arsenal, Burnley's task is a tough one as well. They're away at Brighton. Just two games to contend with on Sunday. Leeds United will be anxiously looking over their shoulder as they host bitter rivals Manchester United. While Wolves will have their eyes on the top six if results go their way and they can take the points at home to Leicester. Now to end this edition of Weekend AM, a reminder of the top stories. Carrie Lamb says she'll postpone the CE poll to concentrate on fighting COVID. Lawmakers say the CE made the right decision to delay the election. And health authorities say Hong Kong saw more than 3,600 COVID-19 cases yesterday. And you're listening to the news on RTHK. I will help fight the virus. I will protect Hong Kong. The government has launched the Leave Home Safe mobile app for everyone to keep visit records. Remember to use the app to scan QR codes of designated venues. Visit records will only be kept in your phone. If you went somewhere possibly visited by a confirmed patient, the app will alert you and give health advice according to different situations. Use the app together. Feel at ease when going out. Let's fight the virus. Scan with Leave Home Safe. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a liter of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets, and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. Well, it's been somewhat of a tough week in Hong Kong, eh? And will continue to be so, so I thought we could do with a little light relief. Hong Konger Lindsay Varty plays rugby, writes poetry and loves Hong Kong snack food. She tells me she can't walk past a Hong Kong bakery without buying something. Lindsay gives walking tours of Yamar Day and other areas and is the author of Sunset Survivors, a lovely but poignant book which looks at a number of people who are the last of their trade in Hong Kong with black and white photos by Gary Jones. Lindsay is keen to promote Hong Kong culture and identity and her latest book is geared towards children. Welly, the wild boar and the quest for the egg puffs with lovely illustrations by Catherine Choi follows Welly, the wild boar in his Hong Kong snack quest as he goes from his hammock high up in the hills on a culinary tour of Hong Kong snacks.
I chose a wild boar because I wanted it to be a um, recognizable Hong Kong animal that uh, kids in Hong Kong would be familiar with and recognize. And wild boar, particularly over the last few years, they've become much more prevalent, you know, swimming in the sea, overturning rubbish bins. <laughs> all sorts, yeah. They're sort of a mischievous creature. That's sort of why I quite like them. You know, they've been in the news for all sorts of different reasons uh, recently, which was not how it started when I first wrote the book. But when I was younger, you know, you'd hardly ever see them when you went on hikes and things. But now you, you, you do see them quite a lot. So I just wanted to pick an animal that people associated with Hong Kong, I guess. Welly the wild boar. I mean, it's all done in lovely children's rhyme. So, I mean, do you normally write poetry or you just decided that uh, it would be fun to write about wild boars and Hong Kong local food in rhyming form? Well, everything I write and everything I try to um, sort of put out to readers and online and things is sort of an effort to celebrate Hong Kong culture in some regard and trying to encourage more people and particularly children in this in this uh, time to sort of appreciate and understand Hong Kong culture. So that was really the, the inspiration or intention. So as with Sunset Survivors, trying to celebrate Hong Kong culture in, in that regard, Welly the Wild Boar is just trying to appeal to a younger audience and get them excited about Hong Kong food, culture and identity. But since I was really young, I've always written poetry and things like that. I go to uh, Poetry Out Loud and a few of these different poetry societies in Hong Kong. And I just, I really enjoy it. And I think that it's probably something that's become quite uncool in a lot of ways. And people don't normally look to poetry to express themselves that much anymore. And certainly younger people don't. I just wanted to sort of bring it back and create a bit of a fun play with some words and, you know, illustrations to try to get children more interested in, in Hong Kong culture. Welly the Wild Boar and the Quest for the Egg Puffs, yes, follows on from your previous book, Sunset Survivors, which is a, a beautiful book of black and white photography. And it's you mostly in Yamadei, but other areas too. Meeting the people, mm -hmm. as the title says, keeping Hong Kong's traditional industries alive. So these are the sunset survivors. Some of them have actually retired or are no longer with us, but uh, you were able to. Can you just remind our listeners uh, the kinds of trades that you came across with sunset survivors? Sure. So Sunset Survivors is 30 different craftsmen and women from all over Hong Kong, everything from birdcage makers to knife sharpeners to face threaders to copperware workers, all sorts of old jobs with skills and practices that have been passed down from generation to generation, which, you know, have largely been replaced by, you know, modern technology, machinery, factories, or simply just a complete lack of willing successes in the next line of family members. But what I tried to do is ask them lots of questions about how they've managed to keep their trade alive in Hong Kong and understand what it means to them to keep working and, and why they keep working in these industries and really to celebrate sort of what they've contributed to Hong Kong culture as well. So as I said, everything I do is trying to encourage people to celebrate and appreciate Hong Kong culture. And that was with the uh, stunning photographs of Gary Jones. One of the ladies I remember because I, I walked around uh, with you uh, for a previous show in Yamade and uh, ah, she, yes. she actually made weighing scales. That's right. That's the type that you see in wet markets but were previously used for everything from food, vegetables, fish, opium, gold and silver, all sorts of things in Hong Kong, yes. And is she still around doing that? She is, yes. Uh, her name is Mrs. Ho. She works in Yamade and she is uh, in her 80s, although she will pretend that she's in her 70s. She's quite cheeky <laughs> like that. But she's she's wonderful. Obviously, you know, times have been tough over the last few years with COVID, but her customers aren't necessarily tourists. They're the local market workers, the local, local fishermen. 
you know, she used to be right on the waterfront servicing a lot of fishermen that would come to buy scales for, you know, to measure their catch out at sea. Because as she often reminds me, you can't use digital scales or spring balance scales out on a rocky, you know, boat. However, now she, because of the reclamation, she's now three kilometers back from the water. So it's a very different crowd now, although she is still next to the fruit market. So she has some customers, but she's well aware that, you know, her her industry is largely redundant now and that her none of her seven children have any intention of taking over her her shop that's been there for over 90 years now. So you absolutely, it seems to me, you know, with the, all of these people that you've met, you're born and grew up in Hong Kong and you have this interest in the in the culture on the street. So you, with Sunset Survivors, that's, as you say, is the perhaps a, an, a more adult book for people to look at in terms of these stories of these uh, fast disappearing Hong Kong trades. So how do you feel when you're walking around these streets? There are times I feel very nostalgic. You know, it, Sunset Survivors sort of came to me because my dad used to buy the little white flowers, uh, sweet-smelling white flowers that you could buy for $10 from this elderly gentleman in Central. And one day he was gone and we never saw this man ever again. And it just sort of made me realize that these people are slipping away so quickly. And in the same sort of way, I, I love when, you know, the roasted chestnut and mm. sweet potato and quail's eggs hawker stalls open up that sort of, Hong Kong winter time when you know that the weather's becoming chilly and this is this wonderful smell of Hong Kong and it's a realization really that that a lot of these stalls the licenses are running out people aren't coming in to replace them and without forcing anybody to go into these jobs because that wouldn't be fair either we recognize that this part of Hong Kong culture or what the essence of Hong Kong in this way may be disappearing so really I wanted to just bring it into the forefront put the spotlight on them so these these trades are disappearing and I really wanted to just bring them back into the forefront and get people to celebrate Hong Kong culture and identity whilst these kind of old stores and these old people who uh, you know have really made the essence of Hong Kong culture uh, so vibrant whilst they're still here. And as you said, Sunset Survivors is more of an adult topic. So I go to schools, I go to societies to give talks. But what I wanted to do is really get the youngest generation of Hong Kong as well interested in the older generation. And that's how Welly the Wild Boar sort of came about, because it was a way to approach Hong Kong culture in a in a less heavy way than Sunset Survivors. So that I because I was going to uh, kindergartens and, and primary schools to give talks. And of course, then you just show bird cages and things like that and they get interested. But uh, Welly the Wild Boar is just a way to introduce an element of Hong Kong culture through food uh, to children and get them interested in it. And the feedback so far has been great. I've had a lot of parents messaging me to say that, you know, their children have read the book and they, they want to go on a culinary tour of Hong Kong and <laughs> find themselves their egg puffs and fish balls. Because for me, that's that was really special. After school, we'd get fish balls on the way to rugby practice or we'd get the egg puffs, you know, as a sort of $10, you know, delight when we were going out somewhere on the streets. And that's kind of what I wanted to share with people, this love for Hong Kong food and, and culture. Totally. I mean, I still love, I mean, today, I mean, a couple of the things that you've already mentioned, I, I was at Aberdeen Fish Market and there's a, a sort of prior area there um, just a, ahead of the uh, basketball court. And there's a man set up there, exactly as you did described with the chestnuts and uh, with mm. the sweet potato and he knows me and I come past and uh, I just get some sweet potato in a nice brown paper bag and it's nice and warm. Also um, one of the others that I do is the the tofu with the ginger and uh, oh yes, <laughs> we're both now going to get hungry during this interview. But I know um, I'm already hungry. <laughs> but Welly the wild boar on the quest for the egg puffs—he's really keen. And uh, so you see him go through all different 
types of food as he troops around Hong Kong. So can you tell me a little bit about the plot line? Yes, so he he goes to a few different stalls and just tries some local delicacies. He goes from fish balls to roasted chestnuts. Uh, He has egg tarts and he's on a quest for the egg puffs, which are, as I I did a bit of market research at the beginning and found out that egg waffles or egg puffs um, are Hong Kong's favorite snack for, for younger people. So, and it's... I mean, there's all sorts of wonderful treats in Hong Kong, but I, I didn't really want him to go on a um, sort of cannibalistic tour of Hong Kong. So I avoided any meat options for his <laughs> for his tour. And then at the end, there's just a, a page in the book which says, how many of these Hong Kong snacks have you tried? And it's a few other Hong Kong delights that, that children can look at the pictures and see if they've tried them. Because I think for a lot of kids growing up in Hong Kong, maybe they're familiar with some of these things, but particularly with the, in the Western population as well in Hong Kong, maybe they haven't tried some of these things or don't know what you would call them or what they are. So I'm just trying to introduce more people to these things and, and show that they you know, shouldn't be afraid of these Dai Pai Dong or hawker stalls and they should really go and try them because they're exciting and delicious snacks. Oh yes, I love rice rolls. And I sort of justify those mm. by going for a hike afterwards. But Welly the Wild Boar on the quest for the egg puffs, he's dead keen on these egg waffles, which I have to say have done well in terms of inflation. I came here in 1993. They cost $10. I liked them because they were tasty and also because I was poor. And uh, <laughs> I noticed the other day that they are still only $15. But uh, Exactly. With your wild boar, yes, uh, with Welly, you also show, as you say, this lovely page of all these different Hong Kong snacks so are they surviving better than perhaps some of your sunset trades um sort of you know as you can imagine the licenses for these hawker stores or these small dai pai dong or the little street stores the license are running out and often it's a family business passed down from generation to generation and there's just simply the next generation have got school qualifications and university degrees they have no intention of selling fish balls um you know from a small stall in yamate so unfortunately, we are losing a lot of these these small stores, which then takes these local delicacies with them. Or you find them, you know, in fancy shops up at the peak. And instead of a $10 egg waffle, you, you pay $200 for an egg waffle. And it's just not really the same, you know. So they're not faring too well. But I guess everything I write about is trying to see the last sort of bits of Hong Kong culture that we might be slipping away. So I have focused on some of the snacks, which we might not see for too much longer. Some of them are sticking around and I do think some of them are so well loved by Hong Kong people that I don't think any amount of stores disappearing will will subtract from the love that we have for things like fish balls or egg tarts. I think they are will be long surviving just in where we'll buy them from may be different, but the food itself will survive. Now, Welly the Wild Boar and the Quest for the Egg Puffs is the verse is written by you, um, but it's beautifully illustrated and a very warm kind of uh, ch- sort of children friendly. There's no sharp edges to Welly. I, I um, like these illustrations by Catherine Choi. Can you tell me about Catherine? Yes, Catherine is amazing. I actually met her uh, at KG5 when she uh, just two years ago now. She was a student at KG5. I was giving a talk on Sunset Survivors. And she was quite shy, but she came up to show me her artwork. And she had done a lot of illustrations on some of the Sunset Survivors people for an art project. And it really took me back because it was it was really amazing. Her work, she was very, very talented, but also she had such a passion for Hong Kong culture and such an interest in it. And I had this idea for Welly and I was looking for an illustrator. So it was really, I just asked her whether she'd like to 
to have a go. And then from there, it, <laughs> over the space of a year, she got these illustrations going and I, we just, it was perfect. She kind of had the same ideas as me and she really put the illustrations together beautifully. And of course, uh, Blacksmith Books and Pete Spurrier as the publisher, he helped a lot with that as well. So it all sort of came together nicely. Can I get you to um, read some of your verses, like the opening two verses when we're first introduced to Welly? Sure thing. Okay, so I'll go from the start. High in the hills of Hong Kong, above bright lights and buildings galore, lives a curious creature named Welly, Welly, the wildest wild boar. One night as he lay in his hammock, he dreamt of a glorious feast, because one thing to know about Welly, he's the greediest, hungriest beast. He dreamt of delicious dinners. He dreamt of the sweetest of sweets. He dreamt of his favorite Hong Kong snacks and his favorite hometown treats. But the one thing he craved more than ever, of which there was never enough, was the warm and wonderful puffiness of a fluffy and puffy egg puff. Excellent. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, that's super. And uh, so off he goes and uh, you see these various vendors, as I say, and it's just a really lovely tour. It might be intended for children, but it's a perfectly good book for adults as well. So and also, uh, as I say, this lovely page of of Hong Kong snacks. So you're having uh, quite a good reaction from parents. Uh, Yeah, it's been really great so far. Lots of people sending me pictures of their children trying egg puffs and egg tarts and even some more unusual things like stinky tofu and things like that, which they, you know, may not have known about before. But it's been really encouraging to see that kids reading the book have been excited to get out and try these Hong Kong snacks. And that was really the whole intention of it and to try to, to sort of bring a bit of support to these stalls as well. So that's been great. Now, when Catherine did the illustrations, did you just say to her, look, I need, you know, um, some done of egg egg puffs? Because what I love is also some of her Hong Kong vistas. You don't just have the store holders, but actually you've got (laughs) you've got Welly actually up on a hill with the with the tower blocks behind. Yeah, I mean, she grew up in Hong Kong as well, so she knows Hong Kong very well. And I said to her, I want all the illustrations to really reflect Hong Kong. So, you know, I wanted uh, the stalls to look like real Hong Kong food stalls. I wanted the people to look like just everyday Hong Kong people. I wanted the street scenes to look like Hong Kong streets with, you know, mosaic tiles and some of the, the bakeries and the Hong Kong signs overhead. And I think she's done that, that very well. And I was really happy with the way that she did it. And for me, you know, it's that metal press of the egg puffs that gets... You know, it's so exciting to watch as a kid. I remember they pouring the the batter in and just waiting for this delicious, hot, puffy egg puff to come out. And it was so exciting. So that was really fantastic. (laughs) So you're still partial to egg puffs now and then again now? Oh, yeah, I eat everything. I'm (laughs) quite, I just love Hong Kong food. I love all food, really. But uh, egg waffles are a big favorite of mine. Roasted chestnuts are definitely, it's more of a nostalgic sort of uh, moment when you see the stores pop up. But uh, fish balls also a favorite. I, I really, there's not many that I don't like, to be honest. Uh, Chung Fun is also good. The rice rolls, it's all pretty, pretty delicious. I can't really walk past a Hong Kong bakery without stopping and getting something. So. <laughs> now, also, I mean, I've, uh, you know, I remember when I was uh, walking near the mid-levels escalator and those have disappeared uh, or they, they're still just about. But you'd actually, I remember passing this old gent who was actually making sweets. So he seemed to be sort of rolling in in a, a white sugar. Did you have that? Yes, when I you, remember those. Yes, when you were growing I up. I did. 
my mum said that when she was youngish, that was one of her favourites, and she used to really like those. So we would try them sometimes when we saw them. But I'm more of a savoury snack kind of girl, so I I go for the more savoury ones. But there are all sorts of things that you can find around Hong Kong. I remember after school we used to go and get lo mein, so the the garlic noodles, you know, really simple, real greasy noodles in a plastic bag from Mong Kok Centre, and we would just <laughs> Argyle Centre, we would get them, and you. You'd eat them, and then we'd get some fish balls. We'd go on a little culinary tour of, of uh, Mong Kok area because we I went to KG Five, so there was a lot of food stalls around there, and that was always exciting. So I think definitely for children now, I just wanted them to have the same experience and get excited for that. So you're doing a grand job, Lindsay, of uh, sort of not only trying to preserve a bit of Hong Kong culture, but uh, also making sure that. Uh, you know, both Hong Kong adults and children have uh, can share in that. So with your Sunset Survivors and also now Welly the Wild Boar and the quest for the egg puffs. So have you got any more plans on the Hong Kong cultural side? I do. We have, well, there's two things that are coming out at the moment. So one is I was, I've been working with a producer in Hong Kong called Justin Solomon and he's just made a, a short documentary about Sunset Survivors, which is now available on Vimeo for, for download. So that's been great because he went and interviewed uh, some of the Sunset Survivors from the book and we sort of brought their stories to life, which has been great. And that's, I mean, all the details are on my Sunset Survivors Instagram if anybody wants to watch that. But the other thing that I'm writing uh, and is nearly finished now is a book on Hong Kong slang. So it's just a lot of translations of very silly Hong Kong slang, uh, colloquial terms and, and words and translated into English as well. So you, you see the very silly literary translations, but also an English equivalent that we might use um, in the English language too. So hopefully that inspires people to celebrate Cantonese as a language too. Oh, wonderful. So that's Hong Kong slang. So that's coming up. Um, but back to the documentary, what's it called? It's called Sunset Survivors. Oh, so, so literally like, yeah. Yeah. so it's like, like the book. That's handy. So Sunset Survivors, the documentary is available on Vilmeo. And if you want the details, it's on your Sunset Survivors Instagram account. Yes, which Any- is just at Sunset Survivors and all the details are there. And it's a 25 minute documentary focusing on four different Sunset Survivors in Hong Kong, telling their stories, showing how they've managed to keep their businesses alive. It's a little bit sad, a little bit nostalgic, but it's certainly a celebration of Hong Kong culture. So I hope people enjoy it. And who's the documentary maker? It's a guy called Justin Solomon, a very talented producer in Hong Kong. He has been living here for a number of years now, and he has just adopted a Hong Kong son. He's got a child, and he wanted to produce something which celebrates Chinese culture. And and so he got in touch with me, and that's kind of his inspiration. But hopefully together we put something that has will make people proud to be from Hong Kong and, and see why it's a very special city. Uh, along with Welly, do you think you could have other mammal characters coming out later? Yeah, I mean, I really love poetry. I've always written very silly poetry. So I, I have another book somewhere down the line, if you know people are interested, about all sorts of different Hong Kong animals and just a, a poem on each of the Hong Kong animals to just get people to be familiar with what animals we have here in Hong Kong. And it's actually quite a wide range. People don't always realize we have porcupines and civet cats and wild boar and all sorts of things. So I've just written some very silly poems about them and hopefully find an illustrator for that as well. You know, you were saying about, you know, what your mum experienced as she was growing up. Uh, where, where, what district did she live, actually, as she was growing up? Uh, my mum grew up a little bit in Kowloon side and then a little bit in Clearwater Bay, which is the same as, as what my family did when, when my brother and I were young as well. And 
I am actually eight months pregnant now. So I have written this book, you know, for a lot of other children in Hong Kong, for my niece and nephew, but also for my soon to be son and in the hopes that I will be able to give him the same love and appreciation of Hong Kong culture as he grows up too. Lindsay Varty there on Welly the Wild Boar and the Quest for the Egg Puffs. On Friday, Hong Kong artist Brian Tilbrook celebrated his 90th birthday. Happy birthday, Brian. Brian has lived in Hong Kong since 1965, working as an art teacher, also designing theatre sets, murals, illustrating books alongside his paintings. In his theatre work, Brian created sets for the Garrison Players, the Hong Kong Players, among others. Here in an interview, when Brian turned 85, he talks about creating sets for the Hong Kong Repertory Theatre. My heart's devotion Let's it sink back in the ocean <laughs> Always the hurricanes blowing Always the population growing And the money always The chance to work for the Cantonese theatre came up I suppose you could argue I had enough on my plate with the different local companies, garrison players, stage club, Hong Kong singers. But there was the Hong Kong Repertory Company, which was a professional company operating entirely in Cantonese. And would I be prepared to do some design work for them? And the first show was one I'd always wanted to do in Cantonese or English, West Side Story. And um, I shifted the whole thing to Hong Kong. We created the atmosphere of Hong Kong street and lots of billboarding with Chinese posters and things on, lots of scaffolding. And a crucial bit of it for me was that there was rubbish, lots of rubbish, around the stage, just to make the whole place look like Hong Kong as it was back in the 60s. No real concern for tidiness or cleanliness. And every day I went back to see how things had progressed. The whole stage was empty. All the rubbish had disappeared. And it took me about three days mm -hmm. to realise that the staff of the City Hall Theatre uh, were instructed to keep everything clean. So even though this was part of the set, <laughs> the rubbish was removed. So we had a bit of, bit of a sort out there and um, the show opened and was um, uh, a great success for you know the Cantonese theatre because... I don't know, they, they just put so much enthusiasm and, and effort into it. So West Side Story by Leonard Bernstein, the, the successful musical that's set with the American gang warfare, really, mm. the sharks and the jets. So how was that transposed into Hong Kong? Well, they became triads. Most shows are fairly easily grafted onto the complexity of Hong Kong because that's the nature of, of this city. It can cope with just about anything, really. And how did you imagine it? I mean, did you sort of, I mean, you knew the musical. Did you, did you then say, right, okay, I'm just going to recreate what they did in America in a Hong Kong setting? Well, I, I, I certainly asked um, them if they were happy to shift the whole plot to Hong Kong. And was it done in Cantonese? And it was done entirely in Cantonese. And thereafter, along with all the other... So is it, we want to live in Yao Mate? <laughs> Um, and I, I can't actually remember the lyrics, but you've just passed your audition and um, you're in. <laughs> I 
it was the beginning of a long association with them and I had the chance to work with all sorts of um, directors brought in from outside. They had their own resident Cantonese directors, but they didn't hesitate, for example, with Brecht's Threepenny Opera to bring out a German director from Hamburg. So I was working with him. And this was which uh, theatre company? Oh, it's still the Hong Kong Repertory Theatre. You know, they're, they're still going strong, bless them. And I just did so many plays that interested me. It was a chance to do Michael Frayn's amazing farce, Noises Off, which, as a set design, has so many entrances and exits. So what's it about? I, when people say that, I usually say about two hours. <laughs> but it's, it, it's obviously about everything going wrong, as all farces are. You start with the Act One where you are watching a, a show being rehearsed. And in fact, the first line is a guy standing up in the front row of the city hall saying, Stop! Let's do that again. And <laughs> so you get the, the first act as seen from the audience of the farce. The second act is round the back. The whole set had to swing round, revolve. So you were backstage watching all the mayhem from the actor's point of view. And finally, in the third act, the two things are brought together in the opening night when whatever's gone wrong in the first and second act, in the third act, it just disintegrates. And I've never known audiences laugh so much. I've designed the show for both the... Hong Kong rep for Hong Kong University and for uh, an English production. So I, I know it fairly well, but great fun. And with Bertolt Brecht's Thrapani Opera, how did you set the stage for that? Did you, you know, I mean, are you given a really wide remit? Um, are you allowed to sort of set it in any era? Mostly you, you start off with y your own ideas and only when the little model has been made and uh, director and everyone else can see what you're thinking, do they then reassert, as they should, of course, what they're thinking? It's not easy to, uh, with a play like the Thrupney Opera, to say, I want this, this and this. In fact, the German director said, you can put anything you like in it, but I want total disorganisation. I want every bit of the stage... Um, even the floor. I, I said, you know, in terms of the floor, can I put footprints over it? Yes, he said, go ahead, cover it with footprints. And um, it, it was it was a mess. It was an organised mess. And into that was grafted the actual show. Brian Tilbrook there. Happy 90th birthday. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs> <laughs>